Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Niger again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Another fun and fascinating week of mental health and an absolute pleasure of talking with so many people from around the country, around the globe, and we're very privileged and honored to have reached an international audience. And um, we do our best uh, to share our collective knowledge, Julie and I, uh, from our education, our training, our clinical experience, and... Um, uh, again, as we say, we're not treating anybody, but it, it, it really means a lot when I get a text message that somebody's starting therapy or somebody's made their first med appointment and Julie's done some consultations with people. And it's just is really, really um, taking off and hopefully it will continue to grow and more avenues and different directions of maybe we'll do some live webcasts, uh, webinars and trainings and, and whatnot. So again, an absolute pleasure and a sincere appreciation to all of our followers. And thank you for everybody who's starting to follow us on Instagram. Uh, I, I'm allowed to get back on to some extent. Uh, we're still figuring out how to post reels uh, because we find a lot of cool stuff and uh, as many pieces of information we can uh, to, to really expound upon what we're talking about in the podcast and also what we're talking about um, on just a day-to-day level in our world. So today's topic is something uh, that is very uh, relevant and I think in a, a definitely, I touched on this briefly when I did the de- depressive specifiers episode, but not into the detail that I'm, we're going to try and get into today. Um over this, we, we live in uh, Duxbury, Massachusetts, which is about 36 miles south of Boston, um, right on the South Shore. And over this past week, there was a tragedy in town where a young woman, I think she was 32, took the lives of three of her children because she was struggling and suffering with postpartum depression. Now, this is not a specific diagnostic category in and of itself. It is simply a specifier. So in the specifiers, um, this is one I think that there's talk. It will hopefully move into an actual diagnosis um, as opposed to just a specifier because it is an incredibly traumatic experience, I think, for individuals who mothers who commit these acts um, and for family members who are on the other side of it. And and we're not going to get necessarily into our, any speculation about the specific case, but because it hit, hit home uh, so, so close to us and, you know, is definitely within the realm of psychology, I thought it would be more than appropriate to give, um, devote an episode uh, to this. So, uh, I'm gonna, I have some notes here, but I, I want to be because I want to be very clear in, in disseminating this information about postpartum depression because it is much more common than people think. Um, peripartum depression. Let me just backtrack. Can it, is depression that can occur prior to the delivery or birth of a child. Um, we've talked about the depressive symptoms, you know, lack of energy, anhedonia, decreased, increased appetite, psychomotor agitation, psychomotor retardation, uh, feelings of hopelessness, feelings of, you know, angst, um, you know, just diminished mood, um, 
you know, the typical, you know, you know, the typical criteria for, you know, a major depressive disorder, but the, but these specifiers are really crucial. And I think, you know, I've said this ad nauseum. Um, I will say it again. Uh, it's crucial to get a neuropsych eval because it's so important to delineate whether it is unipolar depression versus bipolar depression. And from a, from a psychotropic medication standpoint, there's two totally different courses of treatment, which Julie, I think, will probably speak about in, in a little bit. But, you know, the, 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 you know so the major, to go through major depressive disorder again, depressed mood for most of the day. Uh, diminished interest or pleasure in activities, you know, weight fluctuations, insomnia or hypersomnia, which is insomnia is the inability to sleep. Hypersomnia is being able to get enough hours of uninterrupted sleep and still feeling tired. Um, I said psychomotor agitation, retardation, fatigue or loss of energy, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, um, diminished ability to think or concentrate, indecisiveness, uh, recurrent thoughts of death, and not just fear of dying, but thoughts of recurrent suicidal ideations um, with or without committing a plan. Now, in the specifiers, and in, and in this particular case in, in Duxbury, in, with depression, as uh, depression can occur with psychosis. And psychosis is really a disconnect from reality. And individuals who experience psychosis uh, really are, um, you know, I think, I think it comes into like an, an ethical dilemma um, maybe not always necessarily a legal one, but is somebody responsible for their actions if they are suffering from a psychiatric condition? Uh, I'm more of an advocate of treatment versus incarceration. Um, in the United States, uh, taking the lives of your children with or without um, postpartum depression, with or without psychosis, is, is considered a crime. Uh, in, in the United Kingdom and Canada, it is not. Um, but postpartum major depressive or manic episodes with psychotic features occur in, in according to the DSM, one in 500 to one in a thousand deliveries. Uh, and that's a pretty, pretty high risk factor. One in 500 to one in a thousand. And you think about the number of births that occur every, every day, that's, you know, so... It's a pretty high high ratio. Um, the risk of postpartum depression with psychotic features is significantly increased with women with prior postpartum mood episodes, but is also elevated for those who have a prior history of a depressive or bipolar disorder, especially bipolar one, uh, and those of the family history of bipolar disorder. So. Again, why I, I stress getting the neuropsych, you know, if you're thinking about having children, get the neuropsych eval to want to maybe, you know, as as we as the generations, you know, get younger and younger, the the information from from family is is so crucial. And I've said this before, in, in collecting demographic background information, getting a, f a family history is crucial from a diagnostic perspective when I'm doing my structured diagnostic cl clinical interview. It's harder when you get somebody who maybe is 50, 60 years old because their parents and that generation prior to them, they didn't talk about this stuff. They didn't talk about mental health. They hid Crazy Uncle Harry in the closet. They... Um, 
Grandpa wasn't an alcoholic. He just drank a lot in South Boston and came home every night. And that was just how, how it was. But I think it was 1954. Prior to that, there were only four diagnoses. And I might get this wrong, but I think it was idiot, retard, moron, and something else. And I think until Harry Stack Sullivan was able to put together the first diagnostic manual. And we've, we've evolved into the, to the fifth version in 2023 is what we're using right now. And I think we have a lot of work to do and a lot more to discover and a lot more to flesh out uh, because the intangible, the, I don't think this is a word, the intangibleness of, of mental health uh, is, is, again, a huge reason for doing the podcast, but also is kind of scary because there are not overt signs. Uh, so, you know, once someone has had a postpartum episode with psychotic features, the risk of reoccurrence with each subsequent delivery is between 30 to 50 percent, which is incredibly high. But again, not knowing if it's unipolar depression or bipolar depression. Unipolar depression is SSRIs or SSNRIs. Uh, Bipolar depression are the mood stabilizers or sometimes antipsychotics, very different classes of medication and but being put on the wrong medication if you don't have the right diagnosis places an individual at a significantly elevated risk and I think it's going to even place the offspring at a significantly elevated risk if, if the mother is not being um, properly medicated or, or treated. Um, so it's also important to delineate postpartum uh, episodes from delirium occurring in the postpartum period, which is distinguished by fluctuating uh, levels of awareness or attention. Um, so the postpartum period is unique with respect to the neuroendocrine alterations and psychosocial adjustments, the impact uh, the impact of breastfeeding on treatment planning and long-term implications of a history of postpartum mood disorder on subsequent family planning. So, if somebody has a post, you know, is at risk for postpartum depression, uh, it I think would definitely be beneficial to get into psychotherapy. It would definitely be be beneficial to start talking with your family members about your family history. Um, you know, bipolar used to be called manic depressive. Um, if you've had, you know, maybe an old, an aunt or an uncle had a history of psychiatric hospitalizations, there's a very good chance that you may, you may not know the diagnosis, but there's a high probability that there was bipolarity or psychosis. So getting that family history, if you're thinking of having kids or, or planning on extending your family is a crucial variable and postpartum depression can also impact the other partner, whether that's a husband or a female, if maybe, you know, there's, um, you know, if, if, if the in a stereotypical relationship, if, if the mother is, is going through depression, is going through psychosis, and it can be very taxing on on the other parent, we'll just use the father this, in this figure because he may, he may, his needs may be neglected physically, sexually, um, mealtime, you know, family time together because, you know, his partner is obviously being impacted. And, and if you're not a, a medical professional or a mental health professional, this can be really, really confusing. And, you know, people can all point fingers of why did this person do this? Why did this happen? But if, if you're psychotic, I think it brings to the question of what degree of culpability do you have? If, if, if voices are telling you to do something, and oftentimes when mothers uh, take the lives of their children, they're doing so generally out of a place of love, ironically, that if, I'm, if, if mom can't be here, I don't want you to live in this world without 
having a mother. So it 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 seems kind of um, I don't know if selfish is the right word or is it altruistic. I, I I don't know what the right word or terminology is, but there is the is in the case of actually taking the lives of children, mothers with postpartum depression are doing so. And I think they're coming from a place of love, and there are cases where mothers have no recollection until they're hospitalized, they're hospitalized, maybe put on an antipsychotic like Zyprexa or Geodon or Bilify, and they come to their senses, like, do you realize what happened? Like, no. And there's others that have, you know, incredible remorse. And, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, uh, not, none of us should be the judge and the jury. It's important to take things contextually, um, but it is definitely a relevant and incredibly important and, and serious topic. And that's why, you know, I, I well, sometimes when I, when I do my neuropsych evals, we'll put the specifiers in because it's not just always just plain old depression. You know, we talked about the mood congruent psychotic features, mood incongruent psychotic features, catatonia, uh, again, peripartum onset, postpartum onset. Uh, but the, the, the body is changing and, you know, you know, we know that, that, um, Depression is linked to um, dysregulation in serotonin, and uh, psychosis is really a break from reality. So uh, there's other times when when parents um, don't necessarily go the route of taking the lives of their children, but just uh, if if the baby's not sleeping. And that that could wreak havoc on you know the the autonomic nervous system and the circadian rhythms of the sleep wake cycle and and independent of whether you're a parent with postpartum depression or not, our sleep is crucial and we call it sleep hygiene and it's one of the most under focused areas of mental health. Uh, we take it for granted, you know. Jewel and I are huge hypocrites. You know, it's like ninety minutes before bedtime, shut off all electronics and sleeps to be a ritual you know her and i are watching modern family or seinfeld or something we're watching or the office and they're like okay ready for bed we you know flip the tv off so do as i say not as i do but um when you factor mental health as being a viable variable uh post-pregnancy and and you know we were talking about this earlier like a lot of this has to do with insurance i think julie said she found one place uh in chapel hill in the united states i think that's north carolina isn't it Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where they actually they they have the mothers with their children because bonding at that time is incredibly important for attachment and attachment theory. You know, the work of John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth, it's crucial during that developmental period. It gets even more crucial, you know, between like the five and eight year period, because that's when personality is, is, is developed. So these are really important topics. And I think it's easier to get ahead of the game uh, to know what you're dealing with. And again, in an ideal world, if, you, if you're thinking of having a child, get a full neuropsych eval to, to see if there's anything there there may be nothing there there may be something there and being getting ahead of it so you're more prepared uh, going into ha having children um so julie's got she's over here um but but again a very real thing and sometimes parents you know don't, don't go the route of taking the lives of their children but they just may be neglectful they may be resentful they may just you know not want to bond with their child so uh you know i i think ideally usually usually with postpartum depression it kind of sets in within the first two weeks but it can go maybe up to eight months to a year and um 
you know, it'd be nice if the insurance companies would let people stay, at least in the United States, you know, mother and child stay in the hospital for, for two to three weeks just to see if there is any insidious onset of a postpartum depression so that can be triaged and dealt with immediately versus, you know, just going to a program um, that, that, you know, deals with this on, a, on an outpatient basis. So I'm going to let Julie jump in because I know she's treated people with postpartum depression and I, I have done my fair share of diagnosing people with postpartum depression. So I'm going to let her jump on. Hi, guys. Um, just to uh, review a little bit of what Cora was talking about. Um, first of all, uh, thank you for bearing with us on the Instagram um, situation. It's uh, It's been arduous at best, but um, we're getting there. Eventually, we'll get there. Um, but we are... We are really talking about, um, you know, just a very uh, difficult subject, but one that I think uh, in lieu of recent circumstances here in our hometown, um, in a, in a bonable, I'm not pronouncing this right, in a, in a bonable, abominable, abominable, and I don't even, there's nothing funny about this, tragedy. Um, and I think... Sometimes when it in it when it's in your community and you're seeing it firsthand, um, it just re- it, it's a real reminder um, of how serious postpartum depression can be. Um, there are many moving parts, a lot of variables to this. Um, I'm not really going to get into talking about how I treat um, people with uh, with um, postpartum depression, shh, because. I sorry, Cor's making a lot of noise right now. Can you stop, Cor? Um, so anyway, it is very important to know the difference between postpartum depression being major depression and uh, bipolar postpartum depression of bipolar disorder. Those are two distinct categories that really need to be precisely treated. Um, the reason for this is that sometimes, and I know that people can be genetically predisposed to postpartum. They could have had a previous, um, you know, episode of major depressive disorder. Um, like I always say, very often people who have bipolar disorder, whether it's bipolar one or bipolar two, are not seeking treatment during a manic episode because they're having too much fun and they have no insight. It's usually when someone winds up on an inpatient unit because, you know, their their family sections them because their uh, their behavior is reckless and you know all of the symptoms of mania. Um, however, there can be mixed episodes too. There can be depression and mixed episodes of uh, mania, uh, but. What's crucial about this is that because people really only show up for treatment, for the most part, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, um, they show up when they're depressed. People really, and and they don't often all show up when they're depressed, right? Most men show up in treatment, you know, with substance use disorder because they're, because of the stigma and the shame. Um, the shame has to stop because this is this is the perfect example in this in our community now where some this poor woman um, who has uh, has suffered immensely. Um, it I don't know the situation. I'm not going to take sides or really give my two cents as far as um, 
you know, what really happened because I really don't know what happened. Um, but I do have a tremendous amount of empathy for um, women with bipolar depression, um, postpartum, and also major depression. Um, sometimes when the depression, whether it be major depression or bipolar depression, uh, when it hits, if it's not treated, um, people can wind up in psychosis. Um, that's really when the situation is so so terrible. Um, when the symptoms keep keep, um, they're just exacerbated and they're not treated. Here's the thing I want all of you to know out there is if you are genetically predisposed to bipolarity, meaning if your maternal side, uh, you know, immediate family, sometimes grandparents, aunts, uncles, and also paternal side, if there's any bipolarity in in the um, in the family, just know that you have kind of a genetic predisposition to it. That doesn't mean you're going to have it. However, when someone presents with depression, and right now we're really just basically talking about postpartum depression, if they truly are just depressed and there's no bipolarity involved, then antidepressants are the way to go, typically. Um, that would be SSRIs, SNRIs. I think Cora kind of touched upon that a little bit. Very often we'll add antipsychotics, the atypicals, the new atypical, a, the, the 2, 2S, 2D. Um, they, they really are amazing medications um, because, uh, you know, they, they don't affect the affect of the individual, whereas the older antipsychotics left people very flat. Um, they're like kind of in the old movies where you see people just shuffling and having no affect whatsoever. Um, these atypical antipsychotics, they work as antidepressants as well. Um, they, they are often used with major depressive disorder. Like, for example, if someone is on, you know, let's say the maximum dose of an antidepressant like um, acetalopram um, would be like 20 milligrams or uh, if they were taking bupropion um, and then they were taking it with uh, sertraline, which is Zoloft, and they, had, they were at the maximum dose, sometimes we will layer on and add like uh, aripiprazole, which is Abilify, or brexpiprazole, which is um, Rexalti, and we will add those to kind of defibrillate a antidepressant that's not working to its maximum. That's just kind of an over overview of that. If you have somebody who has bipolar depression and they show up as depressed, right, and they're not, they don't have insight into their history or they don't recognize that they have had a hypomanic episode or a manic episode. They just notice that, oh, you know, my mood has been elated. I sometimes go through phases where my mood is very elated or like I can be really impulsive or I tend to spend a lot of money or I'm, I'm hypersexual or I'm, you know, taking risks or I'm speeding in my car or, you know, just really not using common sense and judgment. Those people sometimes can recognize in hindsight a manic or hypomanic episode. So that is very telling to a provider, the provider who takes hopefully an excellent history. And that sometimes really all depends on what the patient is reporting to you, right? So having said that, if you're not sure, adding a mood stabilizer is, I think, personally a must 
So what are the mood stabilizers? Well, I think in psych, you have to be quite careful with mood stabilizers. Most of them are anticonvulsants. The real only mood stabilizer out there really is lithium. Um, there, you know, you have to talk to your OBGYN um, or definitely a neonatologist that specializes in psychiatry. There are people out there. So if you guys are struggling with any kind of mental illness, definitely if you're planning on having a family and there is a pre, if there is mental illness in your history, definitely seek out somebody in that discipline. Um, they have them in all the major hospitals. I know they have them in Boston. I'm certain they have them in, at Brigham Women's. Um, they have them at uh, Boston City. I don't even know if it's Boston Medical Center now. Um, MGH and Beth Israel uh, Tufts. So they have they have them all the major hospitals. Um, definitely look into it and talk to your OBGYN about that. If it's bipolar depression, usually they're looking at a mood stabilizer. We call anticonvulsants mood stabilizers too. Those are the valproic acid, uh, carbamazepine. There's the teg- which is Tegretol, Trileptol, and um, Depakote. Uh, those can be very problematic in uh, pregnancy, so where they're mostly avoided during pregnancy. Lamotrigine is another anticonvulsant that is used, and it's all a mystery how it works. Um, but we've talked about how bipolarity is really kind of a mood seizure uh, versus a seizure. That's why they they do tend to work, the anticonvulsants. And that is to stabilize the mood overall, whether someone is manic, hypomanic. You know, generally, one one medication does more for one symptom, some symptomatology where some aren't as effective, whether that's mania or the depression piece, or if you're just using it as maintenance um, to kind of stave away any kind of manic episode or depressive episode. So sometimes they'll use a mixture. Um, the atypical antipsychotics and newer psychotics, uh, antipsychotics are very, very good for um, <laughs> psychosis. So sometimes with bipolar, people can become psychotic, whether they're in a manic episode, a mixed, or a major depressive episode related to bipolarity. Problem is, is if they're just showing up and they're depressed and they look depressed, if you give them an antidepressant and you don't know their history or they're not, they're not able to give you the history, um, then, you know, they're kind of at risk for becoming more depressed, uh, suicidal, or they can become manic, depending on which, which antidepressant you're, um, you're offering to them. Um, sometimes people don't respond negatively to an antidepressant or just nothing happens over time. So it's not necessarily that someone's always going to become suicidal or manic. It means that sometimes they just don't work. Um, but when it comes to something like this, um, you know, I have to say, and in, in just in my, in my own journey as a provider, uh, both as a therapist and also a provider, a med provider, I have really seen the level of shame um, that is involved with people who hear voices. I'm going to talk a little bit about the breakdown of what psychosis really is. It is psychosis. It's hallucinations or it's delusions. So, or, or both, right. That's what I'm saying. Um, so the hallucinations can be, um, the, the most common are auditory hallucinations. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about that. Anybody I've ever worked with, 
anytime they've ever heard voices. You can see how when they when you see them in person, you can see them responding to internal stimuli. Their their eyes shift. They tend to shift even when they're trying to hide it. You can see that kind of it's a very unique way to see if someone seems to be kind of experience experiencing psychosis. Um, visuals, visual hallucinations are also um, pretty common, not as common as auditory, but the auditory hallucinations and the visual hallucinations, I've never heard anything positive about them. Anytime anyone's experiencing any kind of hallucination, it's usually very negative to the point where it's demonic. Um, there are command hallucinations. I've worked with people all, all on spectrums on, you know, with schizophrenia to bipolarity to major depressive disorder, all with psychotic features. They, it all presents very similarly. Um, they're hearing horrible, um, invasive voices in their own head. They're not, and it's not their own voice. It's usually a very scary situation, almost always scary situation in which the person does not feel comfortable, uh, you know, just waving their hand saying, hey, I'm over here and I'm hearing voices. How easy is that? It's not easy at all. And nobody feels comfortable sharing that with with the common with common people like you just don't talk about it people don't even talk about depression finally they're talking about depression people have an easier time talking about anxiety um adhd is super simple there's not really a lot of emotional you know um uh, i don't know like a emotional stigma to that um it's really just more about neurocognitive and you know just kind of learning stuff but um in forgetfulness and all the the symptoms attached to adhd but the sh- the real sad part of all of this is that the the how alone people feel when they are depressed, especially when they're hearing voices, because that is not a time when they want to share it with the world. It's a very scary, isolating, and lonely feeling. And I know this based on everyone I've ever treated for any kind of psychosis. And and that's that's the problem. Um, that's one of the problems. I don't know what happened in the situation and I can't even begin to describe what it must have been like, but I know that I think that there are a lot of, I, I'm just hearing a lot of opinions and I'm hearing a lot of um, personal takes, um, judgments um, about what, what has gone on and taken place here. Whereas um, I feel like you just don't know. You really just don't know. Um, you don't know if a person who is experiencing hallucinations and you're a mother, what do you do? If you're that scared and you're thinking, oh, my God, and, and what do you do? You, you protect your child? Do you tell people? Because what will happen? Will, will DCF get involved? Like there, there are lots of variables where a mother will protect her children. And... It's it, as tragic as it is, and it is. Um, I just think that it's such a huge wake-up call for everyone out there to realize that there are people who suffer out there. And it's very, very important to really talk to your loved ones and really, like, we just watched a little YouTube um, uh, um I don't even know what you call it, just a little YouTube video about um, how this um, local news uh, 
anchor woman and anchor men were interviewing a doctor at Tufts. He was a psychiatrist and he was, he was commenting on it just like kind of from afar, like we are, we're not really, you know, offering our opinion, but just the absolute tragedy of it all. But what he said, and I think that I want to say this too, to everyone out there, you're never alone. You think you are, but you're never alone. If you feel any of these symptoms, if you feel that depressed, if you feel depressed and you need help, you're not alone. He, this, this guy was very genuine. He was authentic. He was tearful talking about it. He's like, look at your emergency rooms are open 24 seven. And that was good for me to hear because I wanted to, I, I, that was a reminder to me to share that with you. I usually say, you know, call 911, go to your nearest emergency room. But, you know, emergency rooms are prepared for this kind of stuff. And they do have social workers, they have psychiatrists, they have mental health workers at hospitals, and they will evaluate you, they will sit with you. Um, so don't think that you're alone. And there's a hotline. Eight, 988 in the United States. Um, I don't know about outside of the United States. Um, the other piece is I wanted to just kind of, just based on my own recent research, and it was just a few articles that I read, and it you know really um, that you know our 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 hospitalization and our healthcare system is not is not good enough for people who struggle with bipolar or um, or major depression with psychosis if it's postpartum. They're not they're not regulated for it they're not the um there's no money there's no the the insurance does not pay for these kinds of situations and i guess i'm generalizing here but it really is about how do you really effectively treat postpartum depression and psychosis how can you actually effectively treat it um with you know having having a nursery with the children with total supervision how do you help that mother child bond how do you help so if you can just kind of imagine that whoever is struggling with this, whether it's hallucinations, most likely auditory, some visual, which are very scary, um, there's, uh, you know, gustatory, there's um, tactile, there's olfactory. Those I don't think are as common. Um, but the command hallucinations when when it, there's an active voice telling you to do something, and like I said, it's usually de- demonic. It's something out of horror movies. Um, it's not like friendly stuff. Um, and these the people who struggle with this, it's a very scary, lonely, lonely um, experience for sure. But it's treatable. Um, and that's what I also want to say. The, the atypical and even typical antipsychotics they do the job, you know, whether it's Risperdal, Abilify, um, there's so many out there. There's Safras, that's really better for mania. Um, there's Olanzapine, lots of side effects. But, you know, there's so many, um, Vralar, uh, Latuda, um, there's so many wonderful antipsychotics out there. I think a lot of people still are using Haldol because, or Thorazine, which is a little kind of like a chemical restraint but thorazine is a really popular one for someone who's really really struggling like on an inpatient unit but um i think typically you know like zoprexa which is olanzapine um and uh risperdal is a very popular one and again i'm not telling you what to take i'm just saying if you have any concerns 
educate yourself and get in front of the right person. Okay. Ask your primary care for a referral. Ask your OBGYN for that referral for that specialist who deals with, knows, oversees medication with women who are pregnant, that they monitor them. That, you know, these specialists know the neonatology of things. So they are not only watching a, 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 a woman who's pregnant and her mental health, they're also monitoring the baby. Um, they're also, they're taking it all into consideration and there are specialists for this. So educate yourself, get yourself in front of these specialists. If you're at all concerned with anything and, uh, talk to your medical providers and you're not alone, you're not alone. And I'm not treating you guys. I'm just trying to educate you. Um, if nothing else, this whole thing that happened here in our town is absolutely devastating to the entire community. Um, especially for this poor father who lost um, his all, all of his three children, um, who is who is very has been very lovely about his his wife who is now hospitalized, um, but it it's just been a horrible horrible situation. But it should be a wake up call to everybody out there that it can happen in your own backyard. Uh, don't go it alone and. Um, if you think something's wrong with somebody, ask them, you know, ask them, ask them if they're okay. Um, and then help them get in front of somebody who can help. Um, and of course the police are always available and so are the firefighters, you know, these first line responders, um, they're pretty amazing. So, um, those are also people you can ask school nurse, you know, uh, nurses, uh, you know, I say nurses because if you're at a college or if you're at a university, you know, just go to the counseling centers, um, but definitely uh, contact your primary care as well. Um, again, thank you for all of you for being such amazing followers, and uh, we really, really are very grateful to have you as our um, our podcast family. Anyway, God bless you. Thank you, honey. So just kind of wrapping up, um, certainly, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, this it's unfortunate that it took a a tragedy like this for us to do a podcast on it. But on the other hand, it is incredibly relevant uh, as people are entering into phases of their lives where they're having children and uh, I'm a huge proponent and a strong advocate of getting accurate background information uh, because you not everybody knows what their genetic codes are, the genetic markers are, what their family history is, but bipolar disorder does have a very high heritability index, which means um if somebody in the family has it, your person's at an elevator risk, uh, even with depression. Um, but in a case like, you know, I think, as I said earlier, it becomes really a moralistic and ethical dilemma. Um, is somebody responsible for, you know, the death of their children if they've taken their lives, if they've had a mental health condition? Um, I'm, again, an advocate of treatment versus incarceration. 
Uh, it, again, mental health is not a justification. I've said this before, justifications are not explanations, but it's really important to understand and have a contextual backdrop of why somebody may engage in something independent of what the outcome is or how heinous or how horrendous. And, you know, the fact that Julie and I are even talking about this is, you know, we've talked about maybe contacting the local police department or our local fire department about being available for consultations and doing some debriefings because I think I know from, from you know, growing up with two brothers in, in the Chicago Police Department, um, you know, seeing things firsthand, you, you, you really can't unring those bells and can't unsee or unhear those things. And, uh, you know, working on, on an inpatient unit, running a psychiatric facility, and I know Julie's worked on an inpatient, we, you know, we both have seen uh, psychopathology at, at its peak and core levels of, of destruction and, 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 and sadness and pain. And, it's not something every clinician is privy to if they haven't had those experiences, but uh, our hearts and our souls, because we are spiritual beings, uh, go out to the children, um, that they, they find peace in another world, and that this the husband recovers and uh, is able to make some sense out of this. And the mother, given that she's alive, does, does, does find peace and gets the help and the treatment that she needs. Uh, we are the least judgmental people. We don't blame people, uh, even though my our jobs are to figure out what's wrong with people and to figure out we're not putting any, to any sides in this case because... Um, that's not the point of this. It's just to educate people that that postpartum depression is, even though it's right now a specifier in the depressive categories, I think should be an actual diagnos diagnosis in the depressive um, depressive disorders because the DSM is broken into like depressive disorders, bipolar disorders, neurocognitive, so and so on and so forth. But um, Again, something very tragic. Uh, when it hits your back door, uh, it, it makes you want to talk about it, and people can come up with hypotheses and theories and whatnot. But, you know, the truth is there. And will the truth ever be told, whether it's in this story or any other stories? I, I, I don't know. But, you know, we offer uh, encouragement, but also want to offer a warning sign, uh, at least from my perspective, Please get tested if you are thinking of having a child. Get tested to rule in or rule out if there's anything there that you need to be concerned about, if bipolarity is there, if major depressive disorder is there, if psychosis is part of your history. And like Julie said, there are specialists who are designed to deal specifically in the medication realm uh, of these complex clinical cases. So, and and lastly, if you are if you are with someone and you have and you're in the family or you're a loved one of someone, um, and you suspect. Um, you know, there's some bizarre behavior. Pay attention to that. Um, get help yourself and also try to help them. Um, you know, again, there is some behavior that is very notable in these kinds of situations. Um, not everybody talks about what they're experiencing on the inside, but if you really know somebody, you can see sometimes um, kind of unusual behavior or anything a little bizarre to kind of keep your eye on that and ask for the help that you need. And always err on the side of caution.
always, always, always err on the side of caution. I've said this in multiple episodes on different topics. Um, having someone sectioned or having someone take a 911 or having, you know, call in the ER or whatever, err on the side of caution. Um, that's the best advice I can give you because people can deal with kids who are upset with them. Parents can deal with kids who are upset. Adults can deal with their partners or siblings or family members who are upset. They have a hard time dealing with people who, who are never going to come back. So, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. I know this was, uh, relatively deep, uh, but it, you know, when it hits, when it is in your literal backyard, um, I think it, it, it does give us the reason to bring attention to it and, and try to give the education to our, our population. So until next time, uh, feel free to reach out to me at psychologyunplugged.com. Follow us on Instagram at psychology underscore unplugged underscore. Uh, contact me directly through Psychology Today. You can contact me directly, texting me or calling me. Text me is the best way at 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Look for warning signs. The resources are out there. Reach for help. There is no shame in any aspect of mental health. Bye, guys.